My guest today is the co-author of The Success Cadence, Unleash Your Organization's Rap Rapid Growth Culture. Prior to that, he worked senior positions at BMC Software, Splunk, and OutSystems. Here's what one of his colleagues says about him. Bart is one of the most versatile and successful field leaders I know. With world-class performance, he can sell, coach, teach, mentor, influence, challenge, and lead. He is one of those rare individuals who can quickly identify the nexus of what it will take to win, develop a strategy in collaboration with the right people to get there, and drive flawless execution to achieve ultimate victory. His broad base of business knowledge combined with the highest level of integrity ensures his value in almost any endeavor. Bart Finale, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's um, I, I, that puts me in a happy place to hear those words, <laughs> and yeah. it, it's tough to live to that standard. But it's it's also um, it drives me every day. Perfect. Well, Bart, if it's all right with you, I'd like to. I, I, I have the book, and and maybe you know, touch on some of the key contents in that, just in terms of. Uh, what led you there? So really, I wanted to kind of go back a little bit, talk about your career, even before then, your, your yeah. background and, and what led to that. Um, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in New York, in Astoria, New York. Yeah, so okay. very traditional uh, upbringing. Father was a New York City fireman. Uh, mother was a homemaker. And, uh, you know, I had a choice at, at, my, at a young age. It was following my father's footsteps um, and and work for either Con Edison, New York City uh, garbage service or a fireman or something of the like. And we ended up leaving New York. So um, and moving to Florida when my father retired, which then that, that kind of changed the dynamic there. Uh, and I started to get into a more normal, I, th I would say, normal uh, pursuits outside of um, outside of New York. Okay. And when you say normal pursuits, what, what do you mean? By yeah, that? business. Uh, so, so rather than, a, let's say, a service worker or someone uh, providing to the community, which is normal and admirable, um, I, I fell into the path of, of sales um, because it was apparently more lucrative, <laughs> but far more stressful. <laughs> That's for sure. Was there anything in your background? I mean, you said your father worked in the fire department. Um, was there any, any anybody, you any business person you had to model yourself on? Where did sales come from? So no one in my family um, that uh, at that point in my life had been in business. So it, we were um, second generation uh, from Italy. My Both my parents, um, my, my grandparents, both sides came from uh, Barry in the, on the Adriatic Sea, so um, in Italy. And uh, my grandfather was a shoemaker. My uh, on my mom's side, my grandfather on my dad's side was a philanthropist. Um, and so nobody was really in business. So I, I had to learn that just through meeting other people and becoming exposed to um, what would be now my you know my business career in software. Mm -hmm. So. Tell me, what kind of values did you get growing up that have persisted with you into your uh, current life? Um, well, there's a strong sense of family, that's for sure. Uh, you know, when you when you grow up in the Northeast in a traditional environment, it's it's all about the family. And it, it, when I think about the journey in life um, that we all kind of follow, like this is a different world than when my kids or our kids or anybody that's watching. It's a different experience today where the world's completely connected. 
and back, you know, 40 years ago when I was a child, uh, a teen, young teenager, um, there was no connectivity. Like you were living in your little pod wherever you were, and that was it. That was your experience. So we've traversed this change, um, you know, in, in my generation, complete, it's completely different. And you have to learn that along the way. So I, I think if I can, I'll, I'll make a, a, um, a relationship to that journey. It's being coachable the entire way and figuring out a new way to exist and to, and to succeed, you know, with society. It's all changed. Do you think it's changed for the better? Uh, that's a hard question. I, I don't know. Um, clearly, we're having a tough time in the world. Uh, but, you know, I think that could be the fact that we're just uh, bridging different opportunities uh, globally. We're also bridging conflicts and it's all happening in a, in a much faster pace and in near real time. Whereas, you know, long ago, it, it took a very long time for things to transpire. So they didn't travel the world. You didn't learn about them until after they were events. So, you know, it, there's certainly more opportunity for all of us. It's, it's, not without, uh, it's not without its challenges, that's for sure. Mm. And was there any clues in your growing up then that there was a future life for you in sales? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I, I played hockey as a kid in, in New York and, you know, I played baseball and I had no, no example of, of what a business person would be because no one other than my grandfather, who was a shoemaker um, and had a shoe, he had a store. And yeah. where he would repair shoes and his stuff was in the basement. And I knew that like after he was done doing that, I would I would see his tools and, and I would know that he did that. But there was no other example in my life, yeah. um, you know, that gave me any indication. And there was nothing that you were doing in terms of selling baseball cards or lemonade stands or anything kind of no. endeavor like that. That didn't happen until Florida after uh, my, my dad retired from the New York City Fire Department. Um, he was Queens trustee. So he was in the in, in the UFA, Uniform Firefighters Association. When we moved to Florida, um, the only business endeavor is I began to sell uh, putters. I was working in, in the golf in, in a golf shop and I would assemble and sell putters to other golf shops. I'd buy the supplies online and it didn't go very well. It was a horrible experience <laughs> because the quality wasn't there, um, but it was a learning experience for me to get out there and try. And uh, that was, you know, I was, a, I was a young adult at that point. And, and that's, that was really the start of it. And was there ever a pivotal moment where it, there was, you, you thought, yeah, this is it for me that you kind of felt clear and certain of what your future path was, or was it just a more of an evolutionary endeavor? I, I think so. I can tell you that the one moment when I really knew that I was going to pursue selling, I was uh, I was an inside sales rep with um, um, HBO and Company. It was the healthcare integrator um, at the time, now acquired by McKesson. So they're very very large uh, healthcare software, healthcare supplies, and the like. And I was at a, a a dinner, an awards dinner, and the top sales rep. There was a big announcement, and you know, I was just, I was an inside sales rep. I was there as a guest because I was living locally in Atlanta, and that's where our offices were. It was a big meeting at Stone Mountain Marriott Resort, and this is 1997, maybe or 1998. And the top rep got a big check and a Rolex, and they announced that on stage. 
And that was, and I was really enamored by that. And I knew that that was it. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a part of that or have those successes in my life. Um, to, to, be, to be able to get a, a Rolex and a check for being a performer of some sort in sales was to me just it blew my mind. And that's what hooked me. So that I never, and I never really looked back after that. Yeah. Typically speaking, and this may not be true for you, but typically speaking, most people, when they go into sales at first, they, they're kind of fumbling their way into the role. They're not quite sure uh, quite what they're doing typically. Um, and then, then there's an awakening. And at some point, there's, I, I get it now. Did you have, ever have that experience? And if so, what precipitated it? Yeah, so, you know, prior, uh, I'll, I'll back up a tiny bit. Prior, prior to... Um, HBO and company, I worked in software or in hardware distribution at Tech Data Corporation out of Clearwater, Florida. And that was, uh, I had to, I would say they gave me the first chance to be in sales. That was the first real sales job that I had. And I, it was distribution. So it was very different than selling software as a service or software technology to a more, um, a less volume play where, where it was value-based, let's say. So I had to unlearn quite a few things from distribution because it's all about price and volume. And then I had to relearn quite a bit of um, what to do, how to do it, and to, to sell value, so to speak. Mm. That epiphany really didn't happen until I started working at BMC Software. And uh, BMC Software followed HBO and company. Um, and ironically, I got introduced to Sandler through that uh, relationship with BMC Software, where Clarissa Cruz, who was running the Southeast, working for Tom Schodorf at the time, if I'm remembering correctly, um, who's one of my champions, um, she was a, a hardcore Sandler advocate in tech, which was really rare because Sandler didn't start in tech. So, um, you know, it was in different uh, in different realms other than software technology. But um, I learned the Sandler uh, principles at the time, and she would repeat that training with the teams and we would practice and rehearse constantly. And, and we, at the time, were the top performing team in the company, the whole, the Southeast was. Um, and I attribute that to learning some type of system and being confident in that system and repeating it and refining it and making it my own. And there, you know, here we are. So. Um, but without something to fall back to, some some system, some process, um, some level of sequencing, it just doesn't work. You can't. You're just you're guessing, and that yeah. that's really what that was a, a big moment for me, is uh, in a classroom for the first time uh, with something I could I could grab onto and easily uh, use in my day to day. Did you ever get to meet Ganesh while you were in? in I did. He was in the. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. He was the instructor actually at yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah, I got my greatest lesson in say in sales ever from BMC when I royally screwed up um, uh, a visit here in Dublin. I was about six months in business, and I got a call from the local director who had been bringing Ganesh over, and I went in. I won't tell the whole story now, poor people, but. Uh, it was uh, it was a royal lesson in in in, in when to shut up. Yeah. It, was, it cost me thirty five thousand dollars that one lesson. Yeah, well, you know, those are uh, you know we all have those lessons. Um, it, it's interesting the dynamic that I experienced through BMC was um, you know getting introduced uh, to Sandler early in the early days, and then at the end of my career, um, 
it, it almost reversed. So late in 2008, I guess, um, BMC did an acquisition of Blade Logic, and that was a big PTC, uh, John McMahon following, and uh, very, very strong on the operational front. So I learned quite a bit um, of operational rigor um, through that two years that I spent at BMC after um, that acquisition, and that served me very well. And I, you know, you, you end up being a, becoming an amalgamation of what you experience. So I've learned a little bit of Sandler, a little bit of uh, operational rigor from McMahon. That's the force management clan. And then, uh, you know, you, you end up becoming um, some combination of all of that. And then Schodorf, um, he was very strong in coaching and, and developing people regardless of their background. Yeah. And so then that's that's really what brings us here today. Nice, nice. Um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your leadership journey when going from individual contributor and think back to those, those, that first year and what that was like for you and the lessons you took from it. Well, so back in, it's a blur because until you really understand that leadership is, has nothing to do with you, uh, you just, you just run in circles and um, I, you know, you experience it, as a, you go up through the ranks, you see different examples of it. And then you go, oh, I was that kid. I was that guy. Like, you know, you're doing people's jobs when you're a young leader that does, doesn't understand that you're supposed to be coaching and developing your people to do their own job, which then gives you upward mobility because your teams overperform. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know how because you, don't, you think you have the answers and you don't have a system or a process to follow. Yeah. And then you got to piece one together or someone teaches you one and, and you realize, okay, there's a baseline for everything. And you have to follow the baseline. And if you bring others along the on a journey to improve the baseline, whether that's a process or a system or whatever it may be, you start to succeed and you start mm -hmm. to scale. And then, then you have, you're internally selling at the same time mm -hmm. because you're evangelizing what that system and or process is that works within the company you're selling it, but you're doing it internally. And then you're also helping your sellers do it externally. And then you start to have momentum and yeah. it, it doesn't work any other way. Yeah. And can people be prepared for that? Because as a common refrain, I've heard it from other guests I've had on the podcast, is that they had to discover it themselves. They went in, to, you know, thought they had to do everything and then realized, well, I just can't. And I'm just wondering, can, can, yeah, can aspiring leaders be prepared so they can hit the ground running and do this quick switch? Or is it just something that people have to find their own way through? I, I think it's a combination. Um, it's really up to the individual to be coachable enough to realize that unless you're in the seat and you have something to model yourself after, you're not going to be able to do it. This is not it, selling has nothing to do with creating your own way. It, it has everything to do with refining what is likely already out there to some degree and applying it based on the selling role or the organization and the profile you're selling to. Mm. If you think about the dynamics it's the hardest thing in the world. There's personal there's the personal aspect of it. There's trust. There's uh, the technology behind it. There's economics. There's my, uh, micro, macroeconomics. All of these things play into everything you're trying to accomplish. So you have to you have to be able to tap and or adjust in from all of those data all of those data points. And if you don't have a system and you don't have a process or you don't have some methodology you're following, it's extremely difficult. Every company tries to teach you some way 
Um, they, you, you know, most companies struggle to standardize because of fear uh, of creating a robotic motion. Um, there's always the personal um, dynamic that tunes it to their own belief system, and that's okay. You just have to have a framework to follow. Yeah. But companies that are mediocre don't. They just don't. They waver. They lose what we, it's management courage. They lose the courage to stay the course and they only have pockets of success rather than having everybody run a playbook that we know works. It's, it's just so common. And there's only a handful of companies that um, truly master the framework in the playbook and keep refining it so that everybody scales and everybody applies it in some uh, similar form so that the outcomes are predictable to a degree. Now, that I think that was more important if you look back over the past 10 years. It's, because, it's still extremely important, but I think we have the advantage of technology today that kind of takes over on some of it, but not, not, not a lot. Yeah. Um, it's almost oversaturation from a technology perspective on the sales front now, meaning yeah. I think we're going back by the way, you got to th throw all that stuff out because nobody cares. It, it, it is, it really is about um, the bringing value to your customer journey. That's it. If you can't do that, it doesn't matter what the digital feeds are. It doesn't matter what they're reading or doing unless they're buying on their own. Um, you, you still have to have a relationship and they got to trust you and you can't be just like everybody else. You have to really stay with them, give them a journey and build a relationship. When you said that part, I could hear angels singing and trumpeting. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Look, it's even uh, it's funny. I, I've had buying experiences where people, you know, you just expect more from the buying experience. And um, even you just don't get it all the time. Like uh, you have to do the, the buyer's job for them to a degree. That's your role as a seller. And it is not um, just seeing what sticks to the wall. It, you really should be shepherding the seller or the buyer through their buying journey and giving them everything they need to sell on your behalf while you're not there. That's the job of a seller. It isn't just to go negotiate a price. Um, it isn't uh, you know, to negotiate a term in a contract. It isn't to do a, a standard pitch constantly over and over. That has nothing to do with it. That's the, a very little piece of it. It's more about um, really taking the, the buyer on a journey that's predictable for them and gives them the power to go and sell for you and with you um, when you're not around. You know, and that's, that's the ticket. You mentioned courage there a few moments ago, and I wanted to get your take on the role and importance of courage and what the absence of courage looks like. Yeah, so courage, to, to me, management courage, seller courage, um, leadership courage in a business is trusting the process, trusting the relationship, um, taking the high road at all times for all, um, all reasons. And, and knowing that the right outcome will, will come your way um, when you do that. And that means sometimes the days are extremely long. You can't cut corners. Um, uh, you can't play games. And it, it, it is both internally at the companies we work for, as well as internally at the companies that we sell to. 
and the people we inter interact with. So the more courage your buyer has from how you prepare them, the more courage we have as either sellers or leaders from how we prepare to sell, the better the outcome. Yeah. How when you cower to the process or you you cower to the aggression of someone on the other side, that is just, it just means there's a miscommunication somewhere. Mm. So you slow down and you try to get back on the same page and, and understand what both parties need. And guess what? If if the other party is not playing um, on the high road, you have to make a choice. You're either going to lower your standard to them and go along on that journey, or you're going to have management or leadership or sales courage, and you're going to back out and, and you're going to strip, you're going to move the other way. And then you're going to get the truth. They were either playing you or if they weren't, they were testing you and you go, they come back to you and it's just the way it works. So courage is trusting the process, trusting the relationship and always taking the high road as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. As you were saying that Bart, what resonated me was uh, our mutual friend Ganesh. His words about Wim Junction. He always talked about that in his talks. Oh yeah, that that yeah. They, they, there's two. That's exactly right. I'm looking at yeah. the visual. By the way, I see the visual right now. Yeah, yeah. You, you're you're gonna you're gonna play games with them, or you're gonna move on to, yeah. to brighter pastures. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I don't see. Maybe it happens. I just haven't seen it where companies actually hire for that. In that they they look at competencies. I've never seen them explicitly look for courage. And you mentioned also in the buyer network, and, and, and I think the challenger buyer certainly alludes to that, but you don't see it too often in terms of finding buyers with the courage to drive change through an organization. And I, I agree with you, I think it's really important. Uh, something else you mentioned in an article I wanted to, to ask you about was you, you talked about entitlement. Yeah. Can you, can you talk to me about your philosophy and your thoughts on that, please? Oh, man, it's a, it, it, I tell you, um, it translates for me in everything and anything you do. And you either believe it or you don't. And, and I think entitlement and the perception of entitlement um, has changed and evolved because of, of the, our times as well. Um, and the data and the connectivity that we have, there are entitlement moments like every day with every interaction that you have. Um, as simple as, hey, I'm, I'm in a rush and I'm walking through a door and there are people behind me. I, I'm not entitled just to sling that door open and disregard everybody because I'm in a rush. I'm just not aware. Right. And, and you, that can be, you know, misconstrued or it can, right. if you're not thinking about what you're doing, you could be acting entitled. Um, it translates to business and it translates to titles. It translates to roles within companies we work in. It translates into other uh, organizations that we sell to where at the end of the day, if you act entitled, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage because people check out on you. Mm. Um, it, I will never work for entitled organizations and our organizations that are entitled, they do uh, what I'll call reverse skip level they'll jump people in meetings as an example, because I have a title. I'm an, I can jump you in a meeting and take over because you're at a lower level, regardless of what level we are. And uh, I'll diminish your value um, in that meeting and make you worthless, so to speak. Um, that's not okay. That's, a, that's an entitled leader that is displaying a horrific pattern. And in today's culture, 
it is more important um, that that don't happen because people have choices, even in our economic downturn or the times that we're in now, it doesn't matter. People want to be treated with respect. People want to want to be grown or developed into that leadership role that is showing them the horrific behavior of entitlement. That's a bad thing. Um, so you got to you got to inverse it. It's really more today about building, growing and developing teams with respect and integrity. And um, you you got to check entitlement and ego at the door to do that. Otherwise, people will defect. Um, if they don't defect, you're just trapped as a company with uh, with those that kind of mill around and won't wait for something to be told to them to do. They, they don't have any power to go do their own. That's yeah. that's pointless. You can't scale a company that way. No, I don't, makes sense. Tell me, uh, who inspires you the most? Wow, it's a tough question. Um, well, there's different levels of inspiration, right? There's, you can have a sports icon, you can have a business icon that inspires you. you can have family. It's kind of a com for me. I try to make it a combination of everything um, because it allows them to be more well-rounded. And there's good and bad things in everybody, by the way. Like I have people that inspire me in one aspect, but I, I only focus on that one aspect of, of what is positive. And there's things about them that, that don't inspire me that I try to just forget. That's the amalgamation of what, who, what creates you, right? All the things you learn, you take the good or you take the bad. Mm -hmm. um, so with that said, you know, my father was a very committed father. And uh, he's he's not with anymore. He's passed. He so he inspired inspired me because he taught me that you know you just go fight and you'll you'll figure it out. But you, you have to remember, no one's going to look out for you except for you. And that that you know I'll never forget that. Um, uh, Tom Schildorf, you know he inspires me because he trusted me and gave me um, a lot of opportunity to grow and um, and that that benefited me immensely in my life and my career. Um, Sid Sack, who's another uh, um, mentor from my early days uh, in the, it was the mid nineties. Um, my, my good friend's dad. And, and um, he told me a story one time, CEO he was working for, didn't have a college education, mm. still a highly successful CEO. He's like, and I didn't, I don't have a college education either. Um, he's like, I said, Sid, I said, I'm, I'm going to go back. I think I'm going to go back and try to get my degree. Like, I don't, mm. I think it's almost like a, it has to happen or I'm not going to get anywhere. He's like, it doesn't matter. Like, and this was to think that he told me this in the, in the mid nineties mm. um, was pretty interesting because it, 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 at that time it did matter, but it, it just meant the fight had to be harder to get to where you wanted to go without it. And now 25 years later, it, people are, the, the markets are changing and it's like, no, talent is talent. The degree is different. Um, now, if you're a doctor, yes, a lawyer, yes, you know, uh, uh, a highly uh, proficient, an engineer, yes. But a degree for the sake of a degree is irrelevant. You can fight your way uh, through um, business without it. You have to be very coachable and you got to learn in real time. And that's the education. Yeah. So Sid Sack, Tom Schodorf, uh, my dad, you know, my kids, my wife, you, those are people that keep you kind of grounded in life. Otherwise, yeah. you, you just become a jackass. <laughs> it's true. You've got that kind of family too, eh? <laughs> yeah, they they keep me in check. It's, they, yeah. they, they laugh. They, they're like, I'm just a dad, which is great. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be a tyrant.
<laughs> and you you mentioned something about college education there, and I was and I was going to ask you, but I think I might. I don't want to say I know the answer, but uh, you. I was going to ask you, particularly in the states, because it's so expensive, and you get a lot of people are saddled with debt that stays with them for yeah decades sometimes. It does. Is is it worth it? I mean, I've never seen the value of it in sales. Um, I think it is. So so. I say that as a father now it's with smart mm. children. My children are way smarter than me. They got it from their, from Erica, my wife. Um, sure. Um, I'll give them the grind. They got the intelligence from her. Um, so I think it's worth it because there's a social process um, that goes with the university. And I, I think that there's value in that and today. Um, so I'm a huge proponent and today, um, only because I want my children to have that experience. And I think others should too. You work through school though. I think you gotta, you gotta find, it's either sports in school or work in school. You gotta have something other than just school. And that builds, um, that builds some muscle memory on, you know, you gotta work hard and plan or you're not just gonna go to school and hang out. Yeah. Um, and then you come, you come out of university and you, you gotta go grind to find a job today. It's hard, it's hard work. There's a lot of choices. So depending on what you want to do, I think uh, education, I highly, uh, I highly encourage it for my kids and others. However, not for the sake of just going. You got to really have a, you have to do it for purpose. And that purpose can be to build your, start to build your network. It can be to learn um, certain professional skills, but it's certainly not to just show up. Yeah. yeah. So it's not the degree itself; it's the process of what you take from the process. I totally, I totally subscribe to that. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's the job, also. By the way, it's not just yeah. the paycheck; it's the process. Um, it's the learning. It's learning what to do, what not to do, what what cultures feel like at different places if you move around, and what fits you, what fits your eye and your uh, your personality. And it's different everywhere. Mm. You mentioned Tom a, a couple of times, Bart, and people may not know Tom was also one of your co-authors on the on the book. Yes. Uh, can I ask what prompted you to write the book? Um, you know, so not having uh, not having gone through formal um, a formal education, mm. um, I and always wanting to uh, share, I guess, share knowledge or be a creator to some degree. I think that that evolved in me over my my professional career. Um, and then having success with um, OutSystems, or excuse me, with Splunk, which was prior to OutSystems, um, I wrote the book as a way to bring some of my knowledge um, out of my brain and onto the into the book with the help of Tom and, and David Matson, obviously, um, a president of, of Sandler Training. And it was a very, um, I think the process for me worked exceptionally well. Um, it, it allowed me to kind of learn through that process, hear and listen from, to Tom and, and Dave. And, uh, and I learned what that publishing process is like and, and how to create a, a, you know, a book from nothing um, based on experiences. And it was based on the experiences of our time, Tom and my time together at both BMC and Splunk. And then the irony in it is it translated to my opportunity at OutSystems. Um, you know, the book was prior to OutSystems, and then I was introduced to our, the founder and CEO of OutSystems, um, and that worked out. And I stayed with them for three and a half, for a little over three years, and applied much of the same principles from the book to uh, to that experience. Yeah. 
What I like about it as well, I mean, there are lots of examples and stories in the book, but when you boil it all down, there's a kind of a, a simple philosophy that runs throughout it. It's that the skill will and yeah. looking, you know, people have they got both one or the other? What can you do? And um, where did that come from? So skill, will, willing and able. Um, it, this has been uh, it's been out there a really long time. But the first introduction was at BMC Software in the um, I would say early 2000s, there was a program called First Line of Defense. This is and this is, and BMC was one of the big four at the time, um, where you know we were investing in. in um, I was a contributor, but our line leaders were were being invested in for training, um, and the first line of defense was the first line leadership team. And so, so there was a big, a big rally around skill and will and the four, a four box or four, uh, four box model where, you know, you coach and develop to a four box. Then it got reintroduced again later in the process um, uh, around 2008, 2009 at BMC, we were doing the four box. Um, we, Tom and I rolled it out at Splunk and um, we refined it and created more, uh, more robust approach to doing it at every level within an organization. Mm. Um, I've taken it uh, to OutSystems and we did it at OutSystems. It's part of the Success Cadence book, Willing and Able, um, which we know from Sandler. Um, the idea is pretty clear. You, you're either willing to learn or you're not. <laughs> and if you're not willing to learn, then you really can't be part of a team because a team has to have a certain framework to, to live within. Um, if, you, if you are willing to learn and you're coachable, then you better dig in and, and do it or it's going to be perceived as lip service and you're, you're going you're gonna to get left. You know, you're not going not gonna to make it. So willing and able or skill and will is a combination of, you know, the attitude that you have and your ability to adopt new things in new organizations and culture. Um, and hopefully most of those organizations have a framework that follows um, skills that you need to be successful and wills to fit into their culture or abilities and willingness. So to, just any way you want to look at it. Yeah. And it's on a four box. Um, yeah. I, I think it's highly underserved right now. People should be doing it constantly. Organizations should be investing in coaching and developing based on the skills that they need to be successful. And it's different everywhere. So it, it's not like um, it's not like it's rigid. It's, it's actually completely portable. You can do a four box. You can do any type of coaching framework anywhere. You just got to be willing to build the curriculums that match it. And then, and then implement the process that recurs on a quarterly basis so that you do it. Yeah, it's, a, you know, I'm a huge fan and uh, it forces a conversation with teams that you normally won't have. And that's the idea. Mm. So, so tell me, about, Bart, if, you, if you were a min, or a secretary of state for education, uh, what, what subject would you make mandatory for high school students? Oh my personal finance that's already going around around here in, in the States now. So we don't teach it in, okay. yeah. in, in the States. Um, they're just starting to make there's legislation now where personal finance in high school is, is just mm. entering curriculums. Mm. It's stunning to me um, that, that by default would think. So if you just think about how that translates to business in general, mm. 
you entering business, if you had a fundamental understanding of finance, personal finance, you would have a fundamental understanding of healthy or unhealthy business. And um, so kids go into college and you mentioned it earlier, saddled with debt in the States because they're, many of them have to take loans for their own education. Um, and it, it puts them in a negative financial situation when they graduate. So when they step into business, that's a paradigm that they think is normal. It's, and it's not. It shouldn't be anyway. So personal finance would be my choice. Yeah. Interesting. In what you're doing currently then, what's giving you the greatest sense of satisfaction? Um, back to creating. So I'm starting a company and, and it's based on, it, it's a go-to-market platform based on much of what I've learned in, in my career in the trench. Um, mm. And it solves to uh, many problems that I think early stage companies have today. So um, most companies are tech founder led in the early stages and they struggle with go-to-market frameworks as an example. Um, so there's a lot of debt um, process debt, or um, we, we at OutSystems, we call it technical debt because OutSystems is a low, low code, no code um, platform or a low code platform, not no code. Um, very scalable, super uh, rich from a um, building um, a horizontal platform of supporting applications that run businesses. That's what OutSystems does great. And it prevents companies from going into technical debt. Well, there's nothing out there today um, that helps companies prevent going into process debt or behavioral debt, as an example. You can have a company that's $100 million, $200 million in revenue that is just saddled with really bad behavior and will never scale. It's, it's everywhere. Um, and, and it's really difficult for companies to unwind that. And, I, you know, I've had experiences. I've talked to CEOs. Um, talk to board members and they struggle early stage companies struggle with what they're supposed to do from a go-to-market perspective specifically yeah. well, the first so that's what i'm that's what i'm focused on yeah i just want to drill into that a little bit further if you don't mind i am conscious of time uh technical debt i think i understand is startup companies don't don't burden yourself with uh expensive coding practices hire you know don't try to do it all yourself did i is that that's yeah. it. Yeah, that, that's a great, yep, buy, that's buy a very basic platform. understanding. Yep. Yeah. Uh, process debt. What? So where, where, where do people fall foul there? Yeah. So, I mean, we can, we can easily, yeah, let's use an, an easy topic. Um, so process debt in, we can say sales process, which is mm. everybody understands there's, there's a sales process or a sales playbook that you should be following. Um, and if everybody is running their own all around the world, there is process debt. And that means that as senior leaders, we have no understanding of what's happening anywhere and, and revenue shows up without predictability. Uh, and that's a terrible, um, that's a terrible dynamic that many companies suffer from. And, and that's a, um, usually something that is um, established very early and nobody has ma the management, nobody within the teams has either the experience or the management courage to stand back, reassess, and reset how things are supposed to run. And they let them run the way they are running. And then therefore scale is, is not possible. It just won't happen. It won't happen without 
severe pain and it's usually very slow and it, and, and we call that a slow growth culture in the book um, yeah. but if you have management courage you, you reset your process whether it's um, a selling process or an internal communication process amongst teams or a coaching process amongst um, executives there's got to be some baseline of process that you use to run the people portion of your business or the customer facing portion of your business where everything matches. And if not, you're just in, you're, you're in debt every day trying to figure things out. It's inefficient. It is funny, it is funny that because I've seen founders and they'll go out and they'll buy Salesforce or HubSpot because they want to scale and be, be like big companies. But uh, when it comes to the process side, the go to market process, you know, yeah, you're right. I, I, I yeah, I just wonder, do they have to live with that problem long enough before they can feel it, before they're even open to talking? I, I to I, I'm pretty sure there's um, there's a tipping point where you never recover. Yeah, you just never recover without doing a complete overhaul. Um, and, you know, there's debt on the data side as well. You know, so you, you mentioned Salesforce. It's gar it, it's so true. Garbage in, garbage out. Like what happens 10 years of debt in a CRM that is bad data. It's there's companies that are building businesses to recover from that. People.ai is one of them. You know, they help you clean up your data so that you can make sense of what your teams are doing. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes that means deduplicating the history of, of all of the data in the CRM um, because it's so bad. And it's hard. I think that look, all this, all this means is there will always be opportunities for for us in business, um, for new technologies and/or for new process or frameworks to yeah. to help us be more efficient. But without management courage to implement and stand behind them, uh, it, it will never happen. Nothing, nothing will, nothing will work smoothly. It'll still work, but just yeah. not not efficiently and smoothly. Yeah. We're up against the buffer zone time bar. Two very quick 30-second uh, questions for you. Uh, Desert Island, you're going to be marooned. Don't know if you'll ever be rescued. What one thing, not a person, what one thing would you bring with you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, music box. Uh, something to listen to music. I, I, I would have to have music or I'd go out of my mind. Okay, I like that. Uh, do you play any instruments, Barry? Chance no, <laughs> but I listen. I, I listen. My kids do. I don't. <laughs> but Maybe I the air guitar occasionally. Yeah, I listen uh, to a lot of music. Yeah. By the way, the, it, it, I, I'm presuming that I have the ability to survive without anything but music. I presume so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you wrote this book, or you co-authored this book. When there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? Oh man, um, that's a great one. He did it. <laughs> oh, that's it. I love it. Like it. Yeah, it. <laughs> this is kind of an inverted Nike. Yeah. <laughs> they just say, just do it. He, he did it. He did uh, it. Yeah. Bart Finelli, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. It's been my pleasure. Uh, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for the time. It's been awesome.